Um, man, there's times when we're singing that first worship song and uh, I'm just, I'm in that intimate worship moment with God and I'm singing the lyrics that are going on and then I get that kind of light bulb goes on in my head and something sticks out from one of the songs. And um, it, it happened today with the song Jesus Lifted High. Um, the one line in there where it says, you know the best way. As I was singing that, I was hearing myself say, and Chris, you don't know the best way. And it really got me thinking about like my message today. And we're gonna, we'll, we'll dive into that in a little bit, but some of the things that I was really thinking about as I do as I share the gospel and I do the things, like I'm like, am I trying to do this Chris's best way? Or Jesus' best way. So that really stuck out to me when I was singing this morning. And um, so I want to start off with a little story. Uh, like you guys, you guys know my background. And when I first uh, started on the, this road that I'm on now, um, it entailed a lot of different recovery meetings. Um, when I first started uh, getting my life back together, I was in the drug court program. And I was sent to do classes after class, class after class at Four Corners. So I spent a lot of time over there going through different classes and different groups. And um, there was other things that I had to do to be in compliance with the judge for those things. I had to go to certain uh, pro-social groups, which involved different like AA and NA meetings and things like that. And um, so in in those meetings, in those rooms, in those areas, um, there was a lot of different um, philosophies about life, a lot of different beliefs, a lot of different philosophies about um, recovery. But from the very beginning, the one staple in my recovery and the one solid thing in the middle of all of my chaos was Jesus. And so when I would be in there and we'd get into these conversations on about what type of recovery works for certain people or what beliefs work, what structures people are using in their lives, you know, I would hear a lot of different things. And um, the only thing I could go to was the only thing that I was placing all my hope and all my faith in at that time, which was Jesus. And so when I was, it was time for me to share in these places and they asked how I got through certain things or how I dealt with certain things, it was like I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I spend time in prayer. I spend time um, at church getting to know the people of my church. Because at this point, like, I was kind of just that shady character you guys seen sitting in here every once in a while. You, you guys didn't, like, I hadn't developed a relationship with, with you guys like, like I now call you guys my family. But at that point, you know, it, I, was, I was new to um, coming around. But that's the only thing I could seem to find to share about in those things. And... I'll tell you, like, when I would share, you know, like, when times get tough, like, I drop to my knees and I pray, I would get different reactions. The reactions from some of the people in the room were, were there was mixed reactions. There was people that didn't believe, so they would react with, like, an eye roll or something. There was people that, who may believe a little bit, to ha don't have a relationship, but, like, how is he going to help you when you find yourself around some people that just want to do no good. How's that going to help you? I got a lot of different reactions. And in those reactions, um, it got me thinking, how did I react? How did I react in those times? Well, um, at that time, like, I reacted with, you know, emotional statements or beliefs or feelings. And um, 
That's not what we're going to see in today's, in today's uh, text that we're going to be going through. And so today we're going to be... We're going to be in Acts chapter 17. We're going to be going verses 1 through 21. But so as it got me thinking, like I was thinking about um, that was my first moments like sharing the gospel with somebody. And I was getting all these different reactions. And like I didn't really know how to respond to those or, or what to do at that moment. And so it really got me thinking about um, church and you guys and, and being here and you know, we come up here and week after week or in a certain message or a certain topic series, like we talk to you guys about the importance of sharing the gospel. We talk about how, you know, people's lives are at stake. Their eternal lives are at stake for them knowing Jesus. And we say, you know, we're called to go out and, and do as the Great Commission said and share the gospel with everybody around us. And we're called to do these things. And I really got to thinking, how have I been doing my part to prep people to actually do this? Like, sure, the heart has been in it, and speaking of the importance of sharing the gospel and, and speaking how that's something that we're called to do, but I started thinking, actually, tangibly preparing people that are listening to go out and do that. Because, um, like we're going to see in the text, you're going to go out and do it, and people are going to respond in different ways. Um, just like was happening with me. People are going to be angry. People are going to be defensive. People are going to have questions. People are going to want answers. They're going to want to know more. And so... Today, when I came across uh, this next section in our um, act series, I was like, man, this is kind of perfect. We can take a look at some of the reactions that the Apostle Paul runs, to, as, runs into as he's sharing in three different cities. He'll be in Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens, and he'll be sharing in the synagogues there, and he's met with different reactions at these different synagogues. And so it, it can sound... Um, it can sound intimidating. We're going to meet all these people, and they're going to have these different reactions. And the one thing that we can hold to is, like I was holding to, is um, his response is one singular thing that we'll see in these verses here. And we'll go more into that on next week. But um, So we'll be starting off in chapter 17. Verses 1 through 21. I'll give you another second to turn there if you haven't yet. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 1. And then we're probably going to go through um, each kind of little subcategory as we go through it, and then we'll break them down one at a time. Now, when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. Amen. Amen. Yes. So there's that, that intimidating thing, like, what are we going to do? And the one thing I want us to see there, the word I want us to see that stands out to there, is he reasoned with them from the scriptures. We live in a time now where everything that we deal with and all, everything that we encounter is so based off of 
feelings and uh, b- certain beliefs and how you're feeling one day or how, how you look at things. And not everything that we face anymore is based off of one singular truth. Everything is based on emotion and pride and all these different things. If we, if we look at it like this, if you go to somebody and you go to them and they're in a hard time and you go to them and you want to share some hope with them, you want to share Jesus with them and you're sharing with them and they ask you, well, like, why do you believe in Christ? And you say, uh, you know, just when I pray and when I deal with this, I get this good feeling in my body. Well, what happens in a couple weeks when life happens, when a friend passes away? or when someone's diagnosed with cancer, or a friendship, a relationship that you know is fractured and breaks down, and you're not really feeling that good anymore. That good feeling is met with real-life things. You run into them, and they ask you how you're feeling then. You're probably going to vent on some of your things that you're going through. You're going to release these things, and they're going to be like, man, this isn't the same conversation we had a couple weeks ago. And Paul didn't come in to the synagogues reasoning from his emotion or his feelings. It says he came in reasoning from the scriptures. If we look at uh, verses 2 and 3 again, it says, And Paul, as was his custom on three Sabbath days, reasoned from the scriptures, explaining that it was necessary and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And now, if we, if we think about Paul reasoning with them from the scriptures, so he's reasoning with them from their scriptures that have, uh, they've had in their Jewish religion for up to like 700 years at this point, the, the prophets of Isaiah, and um, he's reasoning with them from their scriptures. Now, we would think they should know their scriptures. They should know these things that are in the scriptures. But um, one of the things that I've found and I've seen is that the, I think the Jews had this idea where they had a really t- hard time accepting the idea of a suffering Messiah. They thought of a coming king and a ruler. So I think it was really hard for them to grasp a hold of the fact that there was going to be a suffering Messiah. And so I kind of want to paint a little picture of what it would look like as the Apostle Paul is entering their synagogue and reasoning with them from the scriptures. It doesn't say what scripture he's reasoning from. It just says reasoning from the scriptures. But as I was looking, I, was, I thought I could see it going something like this. Katie, can you pull up uh, Isaiah 53? So I picture him going in to the synagogue and saying, look, this Jesus Christ, whom you crucified by hanging on the cross, was the Messiah that the, that the scriptures and that the prophets had been prophesying to come for us. And he probably looked at him and he says, like, look, and I see him going in the synagogue and going over to one of their scrolls and grabbing one of their scrolls in their holy synagogue, and bringing it, and opening, and saying, look, it's right here. It's been right here the whole time. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. And he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. 
And then he probably paused and he says, look, Jesus, you know how he was accepted when he was walking the earth. You know that he was despised. He was despised by the council. He was despised by the Jewish religion. We know how he was treated. And look, in your scrolls it says, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He probably said, look, you, you know how he was crucified. You know that he was pierced and he was hung on a tree and he was crucified. And look, this was written 700 years ago. He was pierced for our transgressions. And he probably says, look, but it is the good news. He was pierced for us, for our transgressions, so we could be made holy again. And then he probably went on saying, And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid him laid on him the iniquity of us all. He said, look, we're going to stray. We've wandered away. But that's okay. Lord has laid the iniquity on him so that we can be made righteous again. He would go on. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and a sheep that is before the shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And he probably reasoned with them. He was on the cross, God and man. He could have stopped this at any point had he wanted to. He could have cried out to his father and said, Father, they're in the wrong, stop them. And then he would go back to their scroll. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep before the shear, he was silent. He did not open his mouth. He would say, see, it's right here in the scripture. It's happening right before, it happened right before our eyes. And we have this to go to. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land and the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave in the wick, with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. He had hurt nobody. He'd caused no harm to anybody, but he suffered. It is written here. And there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it is, it is with the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offer, offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of, the, of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted to be righteous, and there shall bear the iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He says to them, look, the fact that we had a suffering Messiah does not show weakness. It does not show that he is not the right one. It doesn't show that he was not the right person. 
does not show that he is not the Messiah. It shows that he suffered for us. Without the suffering of this Messiah, where would we be standing now? What would we have? Paul didn't reason with them out of emotion. He didn't reason with them out of anger. He reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Could you go back to Acts? Oh, you're on it, huh? Oh, no. Will you go back to Acts, and we'll probably be in verse 4. Thank you. It goes on to say, And then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and, some, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now, I was talking about the reactions that Paul will receive as he's sharing in these different cities. Excuse me. And here is the first two that we see. We'll see the first two of our reactions. But what I came up with right now is we're going to see four reactions. But right here in this section, we see our first two. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. So the first, first reaction we see right there is belief. They had these ideas. They had these theories. They had these ideologies that they'd known their whole life. But Paul came to them, and he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And when they seen it right there in black and white in front of their eyes, they were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas. And then we see our second reaction, which been, has been a theme through the book of Acts, will continue to be a theme, but we see some were angry, some were jealous, and they joined together taking some wicked men, and they formed a mob to track him down again. It says, and in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason. I don't know who Jason is, but he was a good dude that was caught in the middle. It says, seeking to bring him out of the crowd. They bring him out before the people and they say, they shout, dragging him into the city and say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also and Jason has received them and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there's another King Jesus. And the people in the city of the authorities were disturbed when they heard these things and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So Jason had to bail himself out of jail basically. He had to call a bail bondsman and... He had to give them some money. I'm sure there was a promise along with it. Say, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. Here's my money as security. And they let him go. One of the things I want to key in on that we see that we know isn't true, that we know now, is it says, these men have turned the world upside down. Us having access to the Bible, us having God's word to be able to become familiar with creation from the beginning, to be able to know God's will and his way, we know that this isn't true. We know that they weren't at this point turning the world upside down. We know that happened in the book of Genesis. We know that happened when sin entered the world. It hurts my heart to see that these people were looking at them in the light like they were coming in and trying to turn the world upside down. We know that they were coming in trying to turn the world right side up. One soul, one heart at a time. 
They were trying to take something that was turned upside down long before and make it right in the sight of God again. They were trying to help people spend eternity with Jesus. So in our first nine verses, we've seen two of the reactions that Paul had to face. We've seen belief, and we've seen jealousy and anger. Next, let's take a trip with Paul and Silas as they head into Berea, starting in chapter 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And Paul don't waste no time. He'll go to a city and he'll look around and he's like, there's a synagogue. That's where I'm heading. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Oh man, out of all of the reactions that I've seen to Paul sharing the gospel with people, out of all of the reactions that we see when he goes into the different cities and these different groups, I sure love that one. They receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. As, as, as we stand up here and, and we teach and we go over God's word with you and we share things with you, my heart and my hope is that you receive it with all eagerness, but you don't just hinge on, on our saying. You don't hinge on what we've told you. You get the eagerness to go into the scriptures and examine it for yourself. You open your book, you open your Bible, and you search these things out. I know Tony and Jen and Dave and Debbie, when you guys are doing a community group and you guys are studying a book and someone says, oh yeah, I have heard that. I'm going to look into this more. I'm going to look into this further. And then they've come back and they've shared with you on, on what they read and what they studied. That's a great feeling, huh? Their eagerness of their heart to open up to open the book, to open the Bible and examine it on a deeper level. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and stirring the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way by sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there, and those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. We see the anger of the Jews rise up again. We see that they get word that they're in Berea, and instead of just worrying about Thessalonica or wherever they were before, they become agitated, and they become agitated, and they actually travel there to seek him out. They're so intent on squashing the gospel. They're so intent on bringing this speech, this new Jesus to a halt. They don't even realize the vital tool that they're becoming in spreading it. Maybe Paul would have stayed in Berea. 
Maybe he would have hung out for a while. Maybe he would have just poured into those people there. But he realized, they're coming again. He heads to the sea, and he hops in a boat, and he heads to Athens, where I'm sure we'll see here in a second that he finds another synagogue, and he heads in, and he goes right into reasoning with them from the scriptures. They become so intent on stopping it that they became the main tool in spreading it. And we're here today because he was scattered in so many areas and so many directions and reached so many people that it was able to reach us where we're at now. So up to this point, Paul has traveled to Thessalonica. And he didn't travel and share out of his own emotion or anything. He traveled to Thessalonica. He went into the synagogue and he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And he got two reactions. He got belief and he got anger. Then we see him go to Berea where he shared in the synagogues and we see that they were met with eagerness to seek out the scriptures more themselves. I see them being in there like, man, we have had access to these scrolls. We've had this at our fingertips, but have we really been diving into them and examining them? And I feel like that can be, it can be that way with us sometimes. We, we go through life and we face these different trials and these different problems, or we feel like there's just some, some, Void, something's missing. There, there isn't this full fulfillment in our lives. And we're looking to all these things or we're, we're looking with uh, feel-good fuzzy glasses. That's what we'll call them. We, can, we, we know we have the scriptures, but we like to go through and we like to read them. And like they didn't like to key in on the fact that there would be a suffering Messiah, there's things that we overlook. There's things that we don't see deeply but knowing that we have the answer to all the things that we're looking for, we know, knowing that we have a way to have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus at our fingertips, I would hope it will stir an eagerness to want to examine the scriptures further. Verse 16. Now while, Paul was sitting, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. That part made me think, he knows God. He knows the one true God. And he, he shows up to this city. And I read a quote as I was looking deeper into this and studying this. But he shows up to Athens and he walks down the street. And there's idol after idol. The quote that I found said that at one point in Athens, it was easier to find a God, lowercase g, God, than it was to find another man. So he's walking through Athens and he's seeing these idols and he's seeing all of these things. And I'm sure it pained him. I'm sure he didn't find that synagogue and run up in there and say, what are you guys doing? Look at this. I'm sure he longed for a relationship for them like the one he's now experiencing. Knowing, knowing Saul of Tarsus versus Paul the Apostle now, 
He understands that separation. He's been where they're at. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons. And the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and said, So the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, those were the two main Hellenistic schools of philosophy at the time. So he, he went to them and he reasoned with them and he said, and as he shared with them from the scriptures, they said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagos saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you to bring some strange things to our ears, we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. We see our other reaction. We see a reaction that is something that we could run into more often than not. We see a curiosity. We see a curiosity because it's something new that they've never heard or experienced. And they said, what is this you're speaking of? What are these foreign divinities? So now he's not just getting a reaction, but he's getting questions. They want to know what this is. And that's the part that really got me thinking about how are we arming you guys in sharing the gospel when you receive questions? When someone wants to know more about what you're speaking of. They wanted answers. They wanted to know what he was speaking of. You go to somebody and you start sharing your faith. And they ask you, why do you believe in Jesus? Tell me more about Jesus. Show me proof. What do you say? At that point, do you go into some feel-good answer like I talked about at the beginning? I'm at peace when I pray. Do you go into some one-liner Facebook Christian meme that you see on the internet? Hashtag faith works. Or do you reason with them from the scriptures? To be able to reason with somebody from the scriptures, we need to be familiar with the scriptures. When you think about the fact that you could be encountering somebody that has not accepted Jesus into their life, that has not received salvation, we know where, we know where they're 
destined to. We know what their eternity looks like. But when you think about the fact that you know the key to bring them eternal life, and you want to share that with them, it's a little heavy to think about dealing in people's lives and their souls and their eternity. It's not something we want to blow out the window by giving some emotional response that a few weeks later we're in a different emotional state and we're not showing them anything that we talked about the first time around. We're emotional creatures. We're creatures of habit. There are so many things in our lives that change the way we think and the way we feel and the way we interact with one another. There's so many variables in our lives. Out of all of those variables, I can show you one foundational truth that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. As you encounter people, as you encounter people in your day-to-day life, don't reason from emotion. Reason from the scriptures. I really want us to take a minute and think about that for a second. I want you to, I want you to think about you and your relationship with Christ, you and your familiarity, familiarity with scripture, and I want you to picture yourself in a conversation with a friend. A conversation with an unbeliever. A conversation with someone that has lost a family member and they're on a tough time. And they ask you that question. Why do you believe in God? Really take a moment and think to yourself what your answer would be. The good news is you don't have to sit there and write some elaborate dissertation on why you believe in God. You have to be familiar with the scripture and reason with them from the scriptures. We're going to look a little bit more next week on um, how Paul responds in some of these situations and um, we're gonna, we'll go on from there. But as we go out into this week, that's something I really want you to think about. Something I want you to pray about. I want it to be on your heart. I want you to say, what would I say if asked this? Would I reason from the scripture? If so, what scripture would I reason from? What would it look like for me to encounter somebody and walk away and help them knowing the truth of Jesus Christ. Not the emotional sp- response that Chris comes up with. Not the um, cultural norm. Not the cultural belief that we hear of who Jesus is and what he expects of us. What truth would you share with that person? Join me as we pray. Father God, come before you right now, God. 
with open and honest hearts to seek you out, to know you better, to know your word, to have an impact change in our life. God, we ask you to help us push ourselves to the side. Put us on the back burner. Put you at the forefront. Put Jesus Christ at the forefront of our lives, our hearts, our minds. So all that we say and do as we go out into the world, all our actions and reactions to people do one thing. They glorify Jesus. That people will not only hear about your truth from us, that they will see your truth in us. As we walk through our cities, as we spend time with, time with our families, I ask you to be with us, Holy Spirit, to teach us and guide us. Father, we're called to love on your children, to love on your people. Give us the, the confidence and the boldness to reason with them from the scriptures. Doing it all for the glory of your name. Jesus, thank you for you reuniting us with the Father. Thank you for shedding your blood and your body. Jesus, it's in your beautiful name we pray.